Let me ask you a question. What would you do if someone came today and offered you a check in your name? It's your name. On the check said, pay to the order of Carlos $2 million. I want you to think about it for a minute. This is not a joke. It's not a scam. It's a legitimate check for $2 million. It's placed right in your hand. The question for you is this. What would you do with it? I'm going to give you a minute to think about it because it's a pretty important thing, $2 million bucks. So you get the check for $2 million. The question for you is, what would you do? And I want to hear answers back. If you get two million bucks in your hand, you know it's yours. It's not a joke. It's real. What would you do with it? You'd pay off your school loans. 10% here. God bless you, Mike. Eddie? You'd build a church. Start a ministry in New Guinea and try to make the money keep going so it can keep producing ministry. What else? You'd call your accountant. All right? What else? You'd give it all away. All right? You'd take care of your parents. Pay off the rest of his bills, and that's investing in his business. What else would you do? Feed the poor. You like to help people? Okay. You'd go to a lot of yard sales. You could go to a lifetime of yard sales with two million bucks. Especially if you're one of those people who say, I know you're asking three bucks, but will you take a quarter? Give him the dollar. Don't fight him. Don't try to get it for a quarter. All right, who else? You'd pay off your mortgage. Okay, you'd buy your, the property that you're at, yeah. All right, okay. Someone else, what, what you would do? I didn't hear anybody say traveling. You'd travel, Joe would travel. Where would you like to go, Joe? Italy. Anyone else want to say what you'd do? You'd help your children. Did you hear what she said? She said, I wouldn't make them rich. You'd help them a little. When I was doing this, I thought out what I would do with my money. And then I talked with Lori about what she would do. It's kind of funny. We were both on the same page. That's a good thing. And so as we thought about it, the first thing I would do, if I got a check for $2 million, I would have just to call somebody. I mean, I'd get on my phone. I'd be calling somebody. I'm sure I'd call my mom. I'd call my dad, my brothers, my sisters. And I I would tell them, I got $2 million. Can you believe it? So the first thing I think I would do, I would call somebody and I think I'd be saying, thank you, Jesus, for a long time. People would think maybe I would say it so fast and so much. People would probably think I was like speaking in tongues or something. But I'd be like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The other thing I thought about it is obviously as a follower of Jesus, we give our tithe and we give above that. But one of the things that we've done is whenever I get extra money, I'll give a double tithe of that. Because it's something that I'm not expecting. I'm expecting my paycheck every week, and I'm expecting that we pay and give above that. But whenever I get extra money in, I take a tenth of that, and I give it to whatever I want. I may give it to the building fund. I may give it to, just as an additional tithe, I may give it, there may be someone who I know has a need. That's my money to do with what I want. No one forces us to do that, but we would have 400000 you know, give the 200000 to tithe, another two hundred. we'd have 400000 for our building a brighter future. We'd be ready to dig. I would do that. I would consult a tax man to try to find a way to reduce my taxable income. 
That's something that's very smart to do. If they give you $2 million and it all comes in just one lump sum, you're going to pay a crazy amount of taxes. So we need to find ways that we can reduce our taxable income and keep more of our money. I would pay off my house. I'd put away money for retirement. I would want to help my kids get a good start, help them with their education, a down payment on a house. I don't want to pay for a house for them. I want them to have to work, but I'd want to help them get a down payment on a house, invest some money for their retirement while they're young. We would take a a reasonable vacation. It's funny because Lori said the same thing. We'd take a reasonable vacation with our family. I'd put a roof on my deck do a nice backyard fire pit thing. And I think it'd be fun to have some money. If, if you got $2 million, I'll tell you something. You got money to give. You're blessed. You, you know, you can only spend so much. And so you're blessed. You have something. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm not giving it all away. I'm being completely honest. I'm not going to say, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not giving it all away. There's things that are important to me that I think are of value that I want to invest in, and, and there's things I want to uh, look forward to for the future. Many people, if they got that much money, would go out and buy a fleet of new SUVs. Each of their family member would have their own SUV. You know, the reality of it is this. Let's just say you couldn't get an SUV for 23000 Say you bought a little Honda Civic, that you'd pay about $23,000 for a nice Honda Civic, okay, a new one. If you take that $23,000 and give it to my son at age, he's soon going to be 17. At age 17, I give him a new Honda Civic. In 10, 11 years, it'll be worth $2,000 probably. And he'll sell it to someone else and he'll eventually end up in a junkyard. That's $23,000. Well, he got 10 years of service out of it. If I would take that same $23,000 at age 17, invest it till the time he retires... If he would never put another penny on it, nothing. If he would never look at it, never add anything to it, never touch it, just let it grow at 8% interest, do you know that he would have over $1,056,535.91? That would probably be better than getting him a fancy, and that's not even really a fancy car. That's kind of like an average car. It'd be better than getting him an average car. If you charge that same $23,000 on your credit card, probably the average credit card is 18%. And all you did is paid the minimal balance. You know, they have that minimal payment that you can pay every month. They love for you to pay the minimal payment. Because if you did that, it would take you 425 months. 35 and almost 35 and a half years to pay it off. And that $23,000 that you borrowed would turn into $56,917.89 in payments. Almost 34,000 of that would be in interest. Now, how many of you believe this? How many of you believe that if you were given, if someone here was given, Two million dollars. How many of you think it would be important for them to have a plan what they're going to do with it? You think it would be? If they're given two million, how soon do you think they should get their plan? What about six months later? It's gone. 
all of us would probably agree that if you were going to get, if someone here was going to get $2 million, we would say they should, they really need a plan to do something with that money. And they probably need the plan, not about six weeks after they get it, but they really need the plan in place even before the check comes. Who said that? That was good. You really should have the plan before the check comes because if you wait for the check to come and you got $2 million, it would be easy to find a lot of things to blow it on. Now, here's the reality. I don't know if you know it or not, but most of you, probably all of you, throughout your working career, will have two, three, four, Even $5 million is going to go through your hands throughout your lifetime. Now, we think it's smart for a person to have a plan if someone's going to give them a check. Well, certainly it's smart because $2 million is going to come through your hands. $3 million is going to come through your hands. $4 million is going to come through your hands. So isn't it important that you and I get a vision for our financial future. Isn't it important that we get God's ideas and what, is, what does God want me to do with these resources that you're giving me? Now, here's the thing. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Would you read that? Can all of you read that out loud? Rodney, you lead us. You have a one, Rodney has a wonderful voice, doesn't he? Where there is no vision... The people are unrestrained. The Bible gives us principles that we can live by. Now, these things are not issues. This is not an issue of our salvation. They're more about effectiveness. They're about wisdom versus foolishness. They're more about success and failure. They're about productivity in the kingdom of God. Now, God loves you. And you're his child. There's just some kids he shouldn't trust with certain things, right? He loves you and you're his child. But you know, there's some kids that you just can't trust them with it. You just can't. There's some kids that you can't trust them, okay? And the same thing with God. God's got kids, they're good kids. But you just can't let them. There's just things he should not let them play with, okay? So it's not an issue of salvation, The Bible says this, the one who is faithful with little will what? And the one, what about this? When you're faithful with little, God will give you more. He'll give you more. When you're unfaithful, even what you have will be taken from you, is what the scripture says. Now, here's some principles that the Bible gives us. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, It says that the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. So as a good father in heaven, which do you think your father wants for you? Do you think he wants you to be a borrower or do you think he wants you to be a lender as a good father? He wants you to be a lender. And so what we find here is how many of you like the thought of your children or your grandchildren being slaves or being in bondage. And that's what debt is. 
You can do it if you want to, but that's not God's very best for you. So let me encourage you, number one, to get out of debt. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 5, it says, If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today, for the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised. And you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. Part of the blessing that God had for his people, the children of Israel, would be that as they obey his principles and his commands, part of the blessings would be a freedom from bondage, a freedom from captivity. Part of the blessings would be you guys are going to lend and not borrow. Because once again, the borrower is a slave to the lender. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, it's the same promise is reiterated once again. In 28 verse 12, it says, The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty, to send rain on your land and season, and to bless all the works of your hand. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. I don't want to talk to you about the national debt, where we're indebted to China. It says, The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. How? Just because you're his child? No. Just because I'm my dad's son does not mean I receive all of the wisdom that he has. Okay? It says, if you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top and never at the bottom. And it says, don't turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following after other gods and serving them. Now think for a moment, if you didn't have any payments, what could you do? If you didn't have a car payment, right there is two, three, four, five, six hundred, some people seven hundred. I remember counseling a young couple who paid fourteen hundred dollars a month. Fourteen hundred dollars a month in car payments and expenses. I'm like, fourteen hundred dollars a month? Just getting married? Wow. What does that say about their obviously we know they liked cars. Obviously, it also will say that they'll probably be in debt most of their life if they continue doing that. Obviously, they probably, unless they make a lot of money, what could a person do if they didn't? Imagine what you could do with $1,400 a month as a young couple getting started. That'd be pretty nice. How about people's mortgages? What could you do with that amount of money in your pocket every week? How about the payments that people make to MasterCard and Visa and American Express? A lot of marriages would be better if people weren't in debt because husbands have to work. If it's a single family income, someone has to work hard and a lot of hours to overpay that. Some people are at jobs that they hate. You're at a job that you hate, and there's something that you would much rather do. You you wouldn't have to work that job. You could say, hey, you know, if money's not an object, if if you're not in debt, you can take a job that you love 
as opposed to doing something that you kind of do it because I have to feed my children, I have to feed my wife. You could give more and help more and serve others more if you were not tied down to debt. Truly, it is true that the borrower is a slave to the lender. They control. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20 is another principle. Precious treasures remain in the house of the wise, but the fool devours it. The Bible says this. The Bible describes a man as a foolish man who spends all that he gets. So if you spend everything that you get, the Bible says that that's foolishness. Our second principle is Dave Ramsey puts it this way. He says that we should act our wage. Look to the person next to you. Say, are you acting your wage? If you get a raise, if you get a raise, it does not mean that you should go out and get a new car payment equal to the amount of your raise. Yet that's what many people do. If you get overtime on your job and the company starts picking up, that's not necessarily God speaking to you saying it's time to buy the bigger house, okay? That's not necessarily a sign from God that you need to buy the bigger house. No, according to the scripture, the person who spends everything they make is a what? A fool. Ow. Because a lot of us have been there at that time, haven't we? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. There's something about coming to a place in our lives where we're content with what God gives us. There's something about coming to a place where we're satisfied. And then Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22 says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And so here's the reality. What God wants for his children, a wise son, a wise daughter, is that not only that you live within your means, that you spend less than what you make, but that you actually have something whenever you go, whenever you're done, that you would actually leave enough of an inheritance that doesn't just take care of your kids or help your kids. And I want to say this, giving your kids a whole bunch of money when they are young and irresponsible is probably like the worst thing that you can do. A lot of times it handicaps them, it cripples them. The Bible says that a wise man's going to leave an inheritance to his, not only his children, but even to his grandchildren. In Luke chapter 14, that's not going to happen. I want to say this, that's not going to happen if you spend everything you get. That's not going to happen if we don't have a plan. That's not going to happen if you don't have a vision. It's amazing what you can accomplish if you simply get a vision and say, this is what I want to do. In Luke chapter 14, our next principle, Luke chapter 14, verse 28, it says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone will see it and ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build, but he was not able to finish. The third biblical principle is that we need to have a plan. We need to develop 
a plan. As I said to you earlier, you are going to have millions of dollars come through your hands. Look to the person next to you. Tell them, we're going to have millions of dollars come through our hand. Now you tell them, you better not waste it. Don't screw this up. Tell them, don't screw this up. If you're going to have millions of dollars come into your hands, isn't it important to decide in advance what's important to you? What is the priority to you? What you want to do with those millions of dollars? Isn't it wise to kind of plan that out? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, it says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Everybody say painful. painful. Say it again. Say painful. painful. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. It's painful. It hurts. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness And peace, everybody say peace, Peace. for those who have been trained by it. Now, I want you to apply, this is a spiritual principle, but it also applies to our finances. Discipline yourself, and whenever you make a little money, and, and, you know, there's things that you want or things that you'd like to have, or you get an inclination or a hankering for it. It's nice when you get a hankering for it to go out and get it, but no discipline, the Bible says that, that no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Saying no to yourself doesn't seem good at the time. Sometimes making good financial decisions doesn't seem good at the time. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. I want to tell you something. If you're 64 years old or 65 years old and you realize that you're going to be dying soon, and all your husband or wife has is social security, you start to get a little anxious about that. You know what I mean? Because you're like, what's going to happen with her? There's a reward for your diligence. When you discipline yourself and you say no right now, there's a reward that comes. It's like in spiritual things. This ability to say, to delay gratification. One of the studies we talked about on Wednesday You show a child, you find two kids. One kid smarter than the other kid has a higher IQ. Jimmy has a higher IQ. But Billy has the ability to delay gratification at five years old. Do you know who's going to be more successful in life? Billy. The one who has the ability to delay gratification, to say no to himself right now, will outperform the one who doesn't have that ability, but is smarter and more talented, okay? And so it's a part of that, that's part of the spiritual discipline, saying no to our flesh. I'm going to say this to you. When you've been wise, when you've been wise and done things God's way, whether it's for your retirement, whether it's for your money, whether it's what you invest in your kids, or what you do for the Lord, and you start to see things come together. There's that sense of saying, I love it when a plan comes together. And that's the reward that the scripture is talking about. That's the harvest that it's talking about. Fourth principle is that we should save and invest. So we don't just sit on our money. We don't just be tightwads. Going back to Proverbs 21.20, it says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. It's important that we save for an emergency, for a rainy day. 
Because we know that rainy days are going to come to all of us. No matter how successful your business is or your industry is right now, there's going to be a downturn in the economy sometime. There's going to be a bump in the road that we all face. We save for future needs. Sometime you're going to have to replace that car. The roof doesn't last forever. The furniture and appliances wear out. When you've planned properly, these things are not a crisis. You need to save for retirement. Someday you'll no longer be able to work. And a wise man plans for that time. What's amazing is if you've planned for that, if you've planned for some of those things, if you've not spent everything that you make, whenever the car breaks down, it's not really a crisis because you just write out the check. The principle is if you don't have money and your car breaks down, it's a crisis. If you don't have money and your refrigerator breaks down, it's a crisis. If you don't have money and your stove breaks down, it's a crisis. You notice that whenever you don't plan, everything becomes a crisis and it's a big stressor on you and on the people who care about you. But whenever you've planned and you've not spent everything you had and you put a little bit back, the car breaks down, it's like... Oh, okay, well, I'll just drop it off at Andy's. He'll get it fixed. I'll write the check and we'll be fine. Oh, the furniture, you know, we need a new roof. Okay, that's not a problem. All we have to do is call the roofing company. They'll come in and take care of that. The Bible commends those who not only save, but those who invest wisely. As I said, we don't just save and sit on what we have. In the parable of the talents, the servant who took their talent and gained more was commended for doing good. The one who burned his talent was condemned as a wicked, lazy servant. What he has was taken from him and given to the one with five talents. Did you hear that? The one who took his one talent and hid it and didn't do anything with it. What he had was taken from him and it was given to the guy who now had 10 talents. You see that principle? So what does God want you to do with what he's given you? He wants you to take what you have and make more with it. He commends those who take something small and produce something from it. Sometimes in ministry, sometimes there's a tendency to compare ourselves to other people. And, you know, here's this person and they have this and this person has that. Any of you struggle with that in life? No, none of of you guys never struggle with that? All right. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, sometimes it's hard not to, you look at someone else and like, well, they got 500 people and this person here has 1,000 people and this one's got 15,000. It's like, man, I can sit around and complain about all the things I'm not given. Wow. So-and-so starts with a church of 400. So-and-so is given a church of 500. 30 of us here. Wow. But when you take whatever God gives you and you make more of it, that's what he's looking for. Quit complaining about what he didn't give you. Quit growling about it and do something with what he gave you. What you'll find is that he'll entrust you with more. If you take what he gives you, if you take what he entrusts you with, and that applies to every area of your life, my friend. That's just not your finances. That's with ministry. That's with relationships. Every part of your life. If you take what little bits you have and multiply it, God will entrust you with more. So I want to say this to you. God expects you to invest your money. 
He expects you to take what he gives you and maximize, make the most of whatever he gives to you, unless you want him to call you a wicked, lazy servant, okay? He'll still love you. He'll still care for you. Wouldn't it be better to be in a place where you're the one who's helping people? Now, we all have been through that time whenever we needed somebody to help us. We've all been there. Every one of us have been at a time where we needed somebody to help us, someone to give us a boost, someone to help us get going. But I want to say this. I believe where God wants us to be. He loves seeing people who somebody helped you and they get you going and you come to a place that then for the rest of your life, you can be helping others. That's what God wants for us. The fifth thing is give. This is the thing that to seem like people think the church always talks about, giving. And I think it's really important that the scripture talked to us about getting out of debt. The scripture talked to us about spending less or acting our wage, spending less than what we make. It talked to us about developing a plan whenever God gives you something that you already in advance have a plan of what you're going to do with what he entrusts to you. That you save and invest that you don't spend everything that you get, but you you save and you invest for the future, for future needs. And the fifth one is that you give. In Malachi chapter three, verse 10, it says this. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And this is where God says it. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. The first place that we start with our giving, the first place, I'm going to say this, the first place that we start with our giving is a tithe because that belongs to God. The Bible says it's holy unto the Lord. The scripture here says to the people that they were to bring the whole tithe That's the first 10% of whatever comes our way. Not after all of our deductions, all of our taxes. God didn't say it's not the 5% or the 6 or the 7 or some arbitrary amount that you think is enough. You may say, well, I think $45 is enough. 50 bucks. I ain't giving no 50 bucks to the church. No, God says to bring the whole tithe that it belongs to him. You're to bring it to the storehouse, which is a local church. He says, when you do this, he'll open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you don't have room enough for it. But don't stop with the tithe. That's the beginning point. Jesus says in Luke 6, give and it'll be given to you. He says, if you give, it's going to be given to you. It's a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For which the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. If you're using a thimble to give in, that's what God's going to give back to you in. So some of you say, I don't understand. I, this, this doesn't work. Well, yeah, it probably does. If you're using a thimble to give, then that's what's giving back. If you're using a bucket to give, that's, what give, that's what's giving back. If you're using a fire hose to give, that's what God is going to give back. That's what his word says. Now, can you imagine yourself in a place that when you see a need, you could do something about it. Imagine that. Imagine as a being in a place 
that you could see a need and that doing something about it is not calling somebody else. How about when you see a single mom who's working hard to support her children and she needs a car? And instead of calling someone else, God blessed you to the point when you did these things because you got out of debt. Now you can't, I'm going to tell you something. If you have debt up to here and there's a single mom who needs help with a used car and your debt is up to here, I'm going to tell you, I doubt that you're the one who's going to be able to help her. Okay. If there's a single mom who needs a car and you've been spending everything you have, I doubt you're going to be able to do anything. If you've not developed a plan and you've just, your money's just kind of gone here and there and here and there, and you've not said, someday I want to be able to help single moms, I doubt that you're going to be able to help. If you've not saved and invested, I doubt that you're going to be able to help. But if you've done those things and you see she needs a car, you could be the one who says, you know what? I saw a good car over here. Um, my family wants to do this for you. You could be the one to help her. How about when the elderly neighbor on a fixed income doesn't have money to pay for their prescriptions? You could be the one who helps. If God's people would do what he says, we wouldn't have to call all the government agencies and ask them to do something. God's people could take care of the needs of his people. When a young family doesn't have money to send their kids to youth camp or to kids camp, you could be the one to help. When a person who's giving themselves to the work of the ministry, but they're having a hard time making ends meet, you could be the one to help. When someone feels called to go to missions, you could be the one who helps. Wouldn't it be much better to be in a place? I want to say this one more time. We've all been in a place where we've been in need. But wouldn't it be much better to be in a place where we're the one who can give? The Bible says that it's more blessed to give than to receive. So you bless me today. And, and that's good. But you know what? That's going to be the end of it right there. If I don't give that portions of that away, what comes in, that's all I get. That's it. That's all that it is. It ends there. But when I give and when you give, it becomes a seed that will produce an abundant harvest. God wants to bless us so that we can help others and meet the needs of others. Based upon your checkbook, what would people know about you? Based upon your checkbook, what would they know about you? And I'm going to ask you, I have some homework for you today. I'm going to ask you to ask God to give you a vision for your financial future. In two or three sentences, I want to encourage you to begin to cast a vision. We're going to be talking about money matters for the next three weeks after this week. In the next three weeks, I'm going to ask you to begin to get a vision for what God wants to do in your finances, how he wants to use you how he wants to flow through you. There's something more to it than that. More than just paying my bills. God, I want to get a vision of how you want to bless and use this company for your glory. And you, you may say, some examples. You may say, I want to pay off my house in the next six years or the next seven years. You may say, I want to pay cash for vehicles. You may say, I want to save an additional X amount of money per month. You may say, for my retirement. You may say, I want to increase my giving by 1% above my tithe this year. I want to be able to give to help and you can fill in the blank. But please don't leave here today without asking God to give you a vision 
for the millions of dollars that are coming through your hands. It will be a waste. We said it will be crazy for someone, for if someone got a couple $2 million check if they didn't have a plan. Well, I'm telling you, that money is going to come through your hands. So it's vital that we have a plan for what we're going to do with what God gives us. It would be nice to be able to send them to, to Bible school or whatever God wants to do in their lives, help pay for that. Why? Because we get a vision. We start saying, God, what is it that you want to do? And it's not so much how much you make. It's what you do with what God gives you.